Hi, I'm David Pogue. Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your digital home for the RVing lifestyle. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com for additional information about each episode. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And we're talking to you from a studio far away from home, namely our cruise ship cabin. We are on the Viking Saturn and are sailing in the wild North Seas just south of... Newfoundland. Newfoundland, yes. And we passed an area where we went camping a number of years ago. <laughs> and we gave you a full report, of course. Uh, and would encourage you to go there. It is beautiful. This is Nova Scotia, PEI, uh, Labrador, all New of that area. New Brunswick. New Brunswick, which you can drive to in your motorhome or your RV. We started this trip, as we mentioned last month, in Bergen, Norway, uh, just at the beginning of August. And now here we are at the end of August, ready to make it to New York City. We're recording episode 221 um, for September 2023. (laughs) We always need to include those specific details. And if you'd like to contact us, it's rvnavigator at mac.com if you'd like to send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. But for the moment, we are inside because... Unlike the rest of the United States, virtually, which is uh, summer, summer, which is in midsummer, we are in what feels like winter to us. But we have been uh, putting on the puffies, we've been putting on the hats, the gloves, long pants, as many clothes, uh, warm clothes as we could muster because, uh, well, it back doesn't home, get- it was tough to pack for cold weather. We knew it was going to be cold, and it certainly has been, and we have uh, had barely temperatures above 50 any day in the past month. So we understand that you're sweltering. (laughs) And you should (laughs) understand that we are not. Oh, and it's going to be good to get back and uh, And enjoy some kind of warm weather. (laughs) Oh, we'll complain about that too. Yes, well. We have not used the air conditioning, but we can't be on our balcony because it's just too damn cold to be out there. And, of course, the wind would be bad news, too. Well, we know that you're interested in uh, what goes on on a cruise ship and this uh, these uh, days at sea that we're spending uh, traveling all the way from... Well, well, this is kind of a transatlantic crossing, but it's with many stops because we're going to many stops in Norway, several stops in Iceland, a couple stops in Greenland, and then northern Canada. So this is a very interesting itinerary for us. I'm kind of thinking of it as following the Arctic Circle. Ah. And on this trip, we did get 500 miles north of the Arctic Circle, which is kind of an amazing feeling. And now we're definitely south of it, but not south of it enough to be very warm. And of course, we would make the comparison to Alaska, but... In Alaska, you have to travel quite a ways north of the normal touring touring areas in order to come to the Arctic Circle. And here we were 500 miles north of the of the Arctic Circle, so we were quite a bit further north than you'd ordinarily find in uh, Alaska or in any place you can tour with a motorhome in the United States or Canada. 
when you think about this area and you look at a map, it's not very helpful. Um, it's the top <laughs> of the globe when they try to make it look like a globe and then spread it out flat. It just is so disorienting. I didn't realize that northern Canada is only 30 miles from Greenland at the closest, and it's certainly Ooh. conceivable at various times, depending on how the ice was and who was living that far north, that they could have walked across. And indeed they must have, because the natives in, in Greenland are Inuit people, just like they are in Alaska, and they speak a language uh -huh. common enough that they can still talk to each other after all these years, which I find kind of amazing. So our ship kind of looked at Greenland as part of North America and Iceland as part of Europe. And the other thing we were very <laughs> insensitive to is the effect of ocean currents up in this part oh, of the yes. world. We know that the Gulf Stream comes up to Europe um, and brings much milder weather to them than an equivalent latitude would have in the United States. But we didn't realize that it was still affecting things all the way up 500 miles north of the Arctic yes. Circle. And when they talk these days with climate change that the Gulf Stream may stop or may change direction, boy, is that going to affect that part of the world. Because what it does is it comes north, is it brings all these little dead bodies of, of things that have been living in the Gulf, and, and it upwells as it gets Animals. to the cold water of the Arctic area, and that's what brings all of the plankton there, which brings all the fish there, which brings all the whales there, yada, yada, yada. It brings huge nutrition to that part of the world for animal life, as well as making it not quite so cold. So we had really good weather in Norway. Uh, frankly, all the way north in Norway, which was kind of a surprise to us, because it is so far north, but the weather turned out to be 60s and 70s and, and very pleasant to be out. Uh, a lot of people want to go to Iceland these days, and they come for the, the scenery and the uh, animal life and the whales. And the, and the Instagram pictures and, and the, the selfies. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the well, it's been featured so, but, so much by the media. Yeah, yeah. But if I have a choice now, I think I would do the same thing, but in Norway because it's warmer. Both countries are outrageously expensive. If you do try to come, get yourself some kind of package that you pay for ahead of time because you just can't be dealing with these prices three times a day trying to buy something to eat. We went out to lunch and shared a drink and spent $43. Well, it wasn't even a lunch. It was a sandwich. A sandwich and one drink. Two sandwiches and one drink. $43. Fortunately, on the cruise, pretty much everything is paid for, but we spent several days in Bergen where we were paying for our own stuff, and we did several shore, well, not shore excursions, but excursions, and... It was um, very expensive, not only for the excursion, but for all of the uh, things that went along with it. So it's easy to spend four or five hundred dollars on an, on a full day excursion here in Norway, but that's the case in Iceland also. So as I was saying, because of the warm currents, Norway is considerably warmer than Iceland. Norway has the same or better scenery. And it's very easy to find cruises or trips that that actually go up the coast of Norway. Things to do. There are so many fjords and so many interesting things to see that are very picturesque if you're a photographer like I am or if you're an outdoors person uh, and you want to do hiking or climbing on <laughs> cliffs or <laughs> jumping off and <laughs> sailing <Seriously>? down. <laughs> Which is not me, but if those are 
things that you're interested in doing, then uh, Norway offers an abundance of that type of uh, activity. And the roads to drive look very interesting. I would like to come back and, and just drive around and, and spend some time in the places that we were. And of course, they're famous for their fjords, which is kind of like a canyon into the mountains, which has been filled with water. And they go as far as 50, 60, 75, 80 miles in as a tongue of the ocean that goes into the mountains and provides, you know, craggy, rocky cliffs and because they were carved out by glaciers. So places that are virtually uninhabitable because of there's no flat area you can just drive around in and out of these fjords because they're all up and down the coast of norway and in norway because the country has a lot of money these days from its oil fields they have done an incredible job of developing those fjord lands and so if you don't feel like driving all the way down one side of a fjord and back on the other side to be able to go <laughs> north. Chances are there's a nice bridge or a nice tunnel. They use a lot of tunnels because these are much more um, helpful to you if you're here in the winter, which we hope never to be, um, because you aren't affected by snow drifts and weather when you're in a tunnel. And, and we're so talking about real tunnels. We're talking about tunnels that are 10-15 miles long right. through the mountain. That's an amazing so, experience. So Norway has done a very good job of developing itself in that regard. Um, Iceland has fjords too. We didn't have as much experience with driving in and out of them like we did in Norway. Iceland is much bigger on waterfalls. Uh, there was not a day that went by that we didn't see at least one spectacular waterfall. Um, Norway has them too, but not so much. I think because it doesn't have all the glacial melt anymore. Well, it has trees and green and forest which right. Iceland doesn't have. Plus, Iceland has the geothermal features. Right, and lava fields in some places. Iceland is one of the only countries that is self-sustaining in terms of its energy. energy needs because it gets it all from, and it's all free, comes from the middle of the of the earth. Because that's amazing that things just bubble up and everything is hot and they can just uh, use that for heating and for generating electricity. We know that it's quite feasible to camp in both countries. We've investigated renting a camper in Iceland and doing the loop ourselves, which people have told us takes 10 days to two weeks. In Norway, we saw a lot of RVs. I don't know if they were rentals, but some of them certainly well, could have been. Um, a lot of them were trailers that people were well, towing. Yeah, I think there, were a, there was a lot more RVing or camping experiences in Norway than in Iceland because there are lots more roads. Well, and, and you can drive there from Europe. And you can drive there from Europe. So you can bring your own. <laughs> but we would drive down the road, and you would see every farmhouse had a, a camper of some sort outside of its uh, parked in the on the driveway, ready to take away and to go on vacation, which was very nice to see. Uh, we think of Americans as having lots of RVs, but boy, I'd say Norway definitely uh, was up there in the number of RVs per family. And Norway has a very interesting philosophy of yes. land ownership. If you own, let's say, a farm or a field that has trees on it or whatever, you are able to bar people from being close to you 600 yards, I think it was. But if your property is bigger than that, any old Yahoo doing any old whatever can hike through your property 
can stay for a night or two boondocking if, the, if it's appropriate for that area. And that makes a lot of the land just a lot more available for campers, whether you're going to a real campground or not. I'm sure there's some more rules than that. You can't park in the middle of a cornfield. But the opportunities for boondocking are enormous because all the public land is also available. And we saw RVs parked in all sorts of different places that uh, were obviously not campgrounds. And then they had campgrounds, too, with hookups and, well, let's see, not exactly hookups. There was you no, usually have electricity. There was nowhere for Blackwater, I don't Lots of campers in Norway uh, use the typical European caravan, which is the term for a travel trailer, or a camper van, and they're a little bit different from the ones that we would see at home. They have what's called a cassette toilet. And, you know, I've been watching, and some of the U.S. RVs these days have cassette toilets as smaller vehicles. So what's a cassette toilet? It's a little container that the <laughs> icky stuff goes into. And then you pull it out and take it to a, facil- a toilet facility, a bathhouse, whatever, and just dump it into a toilet. So it's a tank that is small enough for you to pick up and it actually slides in and you know it locks in underneath the toilet where all the stuff goes and then okay <laughs> you take it out and and dump it in its uh, raw state down the toilet and many of the camper vans and caravans in Europe have just that as the only tank and they do not have a gray tank or a uh, holding tank for water so gray water would just go on the ground then? Gray, gray, as that's what we experienced when we have camped on our own, but it hasn't changed in the, the, the quite a few years since we've been doing it. Um, and they don't have dump stations per se. You just take it over to the toilet and dump it in, and that's the only water that they really consider to be dangerous. So they don't have any slides. Uh, I, I, in all the, the RVs that we looked at, I didn't see one slide. They're almost all single axle, plastic windows, and as I said, uh, no holding tanks. And the reason why is because they have to make these light. trailers very light because the to- cars that tow them not only have very expensive fuel, but are very small in and of themselves. So you see the smallest of cars towing a hmm, 20-foot trailer and uh, that's just the norm. No bubble trucks. And then you just park in a roadside or wherever. That's my impression anyway. Maybe somebody out there could help us with uh, some of the details because it was uh, quite interesting. We just know what we saw. Yeah. Well, what our experience from the past is. But it's a very different way of uh, RVing. And when we showed them <laughs> pictures of our motorhome, they were like, whoa. Because you couldn't, you can't have all the, he- the heavy things. You can't have Corian countertops and stainless steel and water. Oh, I wonder, they do have water heaters, I would think. I would think. Yeah. It's cold. So they must have a water tank. Okay, so that's... Uh, <laughs> quite an interesting comparison to make. And then we would have to compare Alaska to the Norwegian fjords. Uh, Alaska's famous for the Inside Passage, where you cruise up and then uh, and then go through the glaciers and things. Um, what do you think? 
Well, certainly when you're in Europe, you are less likely to see a scene that's just totally wild. Mm -hmm. um, somebody, if there's a flat little piece of property, somebody built their house there, or a fisherman is fishing there, there's just a lot more signs of human habitation than there is in Alaska. I think the wildlife in Alaska is more abundant. You go to Norway for the scenery, and certainly it is spectacular. And I think you go to Alaska for the, the scenery, but the animals too. And I think uh, a few more glaciers and things. We saw lots of glaciers in Greenland and in Iceland, but not that much in Norway. Well, and I would say that the Europeans already killed all their... <laughs> The animals that used to live oh, there well. long before people started feeling a little more sensitive about those things. And some efforts are being made to repopulate. We saw reindeer uh, that were wild in some places. Yeah, reindeer. Um, and there are arctic foxes running around. And certainly the bird life there is quite, quite lush, depending on the time of year you're talking about. Because um, when those nutrient-laden waters come up with the gulf, and all the fish eat the critters that are in those waters, then all the birds come and eat them. So many, many birds are here at certain times of year that you wouldn't see at others because this is such an ideal place to pig out, make some babies, raise them up, and then go back <laughs> south again after that's all over. And the people we talk to who are bird experts tell us that uh, the birds in Norway are very different than the birds we see in North America. Although but we, to me, we, they're gray-winged yeah, animals tell. that fly. We can't tell. I can't tell. Gray-winged animals that fly. Of course they are. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the cruise. We are on a 930-passenger adults-only uh, Viking cruise, and they have 10 ships, and they're all identical in the uh, ocean fleet. They also own a bunch of, as we mentioned, river a bunch of river ships. ships too, but we're not talking about that. And it has kind of the all-inclusive concept. Lots of cruise ships have specialty dining, and they have specialty dining here, but it's included. All you have to do is make a reservation. They consider themselves to be a small ship company, but I'm not so sure about that. It depends what you're doing. Certainly when we all end in one place at the same time, and it doesn't have a good dock system, and we have to use the lifeboats to to um, come on shore. They call that tendering. And we all, 930 of us, stand in line behind each other to get on those <laughs> lifeboats. It doesn't feel all that small. And when you're in bad weather or cold weather, as we are here, you tend to stay inside, which means that all of us are kind of smushed together. Smushed. And that makes it feel a little more crowded as well. That's unavoidable. Is smushed an official word? It is for me. <laughs> And do you feel smushed in the cabin? Yes, I do. They're not very well designed, in my opinion. I don't quite have enough space to store the clothing that I brought. And whenever we are trying to get dressed in the morning, that closet is hidden behind the bed. Uh, so we have to negotiate behind with each other. If you're going to stand there, I'm going to stand here. I will be glad when I'm in my spacious motorhome where I don't have to do that. Well, your motorhome is uh, about 400 square feet, and this cabin is on the order of 225 square feet. Makes a difference. So all the cabins on the Viking ships are outside uh, with balconies. So that that adds a nice little extra space to your cabin. But otherwise, they're uh, fairly typical uh, cruise cabins, and they're not that spacious. 
they're reasonably well appointed and you know spending a month in here is definitely feasible. They have plenty of plugs and the things we need to have to keep our electronics going, that's for sure. One of the best things about the Saturn in terms of technology is the fact that it has Starlink. And you will recall that when we did our last cruise that they were just installing Starlink and when they activated it, it really didn't impress us as being a major improvement in the internet. The internet on that ship was slow, 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 and when they added Starlink it was a little, faster, a little but quicker. not a lot. Whereas on this ship with Starlink, we have had excellent internet service throughout the cruise. Even and 500 miles north of the Arctic Circle. Yes, well, and that's natural because they're low-Earth satellites. We can do quite a lot of streaming, which is impressive. Martha has called home, we've seen people doing FaceTime, and it's available for, well, included in the price. On Viking. On Viking. One of the things that we like about Viking is, is that virtually everything is included. So rather than nickel and diming you to death, you have... Uh, you pay all the big bucks up front. Yeah. Viking seems like a pretty expensive cruise line, uh, and it is substantially more expensive than Princess or Royal Caribbean or Norwegian or Carnival, certainly. But when you look at what's included, including a shore excursion in every port, including the Internet, which we're finding out uh, is pretty expensive on other ships. They have washers and dryers washers on every floor that you can use for yourself. They even supply the laundry detergent. Very convenient. So free laundry and wine with dinner and, and lunch. lunch. And we have a, a mini fridge which is uh, restocked every day. So all of these things add up and keep the price uh, reasonable uh, overall price, even though when you pay at the beginning, it's kind of expensive. So should you consider Viking? I guess it's a small ship versus big ship. And I think we're going to be able to provide you with a, a little bit more of a perspective on that because our next ship, which we'll be sailing on, is a Holland America big ship. So we'll be able to make more valid comparisons after making that, although we have sailed on many big ships. What do you think are the big ship advantages? There's a lot more entertainment, a lot more uh, things yes. to do a lot more places to go. If they're well organized, they don't feel any more crowded than they do here. Uh -huh. People are very loyal to these small ships, and we've run into many people who have taken lots of cruises but never on anything but Viking because they feel like it meets all their needs. So we're, we're a little more... Eclectic. Eclectic, yeah, that's a good word. <laughs> yeah, we base our, our decisions on where to travel based on the itinerary, not so much on the ship. But we certainly like Viking, but I can't say that it's going to be our only choice in the future. If you are somebody who is interested in the finer things in life, shall I say, they have a string quartet, we have singers in the for entertainment in the evening, and it's, it's fairly upscale in terms of its entertainment options. There's no slides, there's no uh, there is games little, or pool ga activities. There is a little nightclub where a live band plays and you can dance, <laughs> trivia. trivia contests, things like that. But I do want to say how shocked I've been on this itinerary once we got away from Bergen and the cities you may have heard of, I expected that we would be the only ship that was there. And more often than not, that was not the case. Even in ports where there isn't that much to do, uh, you would have to tender in because they had no dock. We'd open the windows in the morning, look out, and there'd be somebody else parked <laughs> right next to us. And that I found that very disappointing. More than both of the Greenland cities we visited, between us and the ship next to us, well, there were twice as many cruisers 
users as there were local people. And to me that really causes you to lose the flavor of the locale and it's hard to do something where you're not standing in line behind other people that look like you and talk like you, which I don't like very much when I'm going to more exotic locales. I think what's happening here is that the cruise lines are building more and more ships. People were very worried about the cruise industry during COVID, but it has rebounded big time. And all those ships need somewhere to go and people need somewhere to be. And so uh, from the locals' point of view, this brings money to their community. How are they going to say no? Um, so that's something that has kind of dampened my enjoyment on some of the places that we've been. Uh, and it, it's amazing how many cruise ships we have seen and some of the big lines, the, the the lines that we have traveled on ourselves. But I never thought that they went to these ports that I couldn't pronounce. Here we go in, in Norway. We're in Granger, and there are three ships in port. And that's a very small community at the end of a fjord. 350 and, people. And I guess mainly the lines and things that we've encountered on this cruise have been from the the crusher cruise ships that have uh, gone to some of these ports. We've only been to a couple of ports where we have been the only ship in, in port. And even today, which is a port that we missed, but there was another ship there, and uh, that's well, that was that's another issue that we've encountered. Of course, this is that due to weather issues, we've actually had to skip two of our ports, which is always annoying. And but does happen on cruises. You've got to be sensitive to the weather. And maybe more likely in these marginal places that we are going to these days. Yeah, when you have to tender, that's a problem. Tendering, of course, means that you, you're on the big ship and you get on a small... Oh, there's a whale right there. Just are you sure? Saw the blow. Yeah, I yeah, definitely did. But I've seen stuff like that before, no, too. No, this was, really I could blow. see the hump. Well, I don't know if sure it was a whale. Um, so back to the There pond. it is. Yeah, you see it again? Yeah. So a little bit of excitement. We see animals in the in the water here. We are whale watching as we are doing the podcast, I guess. <laughs> I didn't know it. I was just looking. And there was a whale. So this is in the middle of the ocean. We don't see any lands. So we picked this rather exotic itinerary and only to find out that many other ships are doing a very similar itinerary. Because we did five ports in Norway, four ports in uh, Iceland. We went completely circumnavigated Iceland, did five ports there, two ports in Greenland. So we've spent quite a lot of time in these various areas. So have other ships. <laughs> And many of the ships are much bigger than ours. So, And when you're booking a cruise, there really is no way to find out who your neighbors are going to be, is there? Well, And they change around, too. Yeah, if you wanted to do a serious search, I have a website that I use that tells you what ships are in port. But it would take you a lot of work to, to cross-reference them. Even this itinerary, they made a change or two in the cities we're stopping at, or the locations, Yeah, um, which is quite common. We've enjoyed the cruise, and we will continue to enjoy cruising because it's a very comfortable way of traveling. We're here in the nice warm cabin looking out at the wildlife and whales at sea here, I guess. So, so that's that's pretty interesting. But... We need to talk a little bit about some RVing topics. Okay, because next month after we get home, we're going to be <sighs> RVing. Are we really? Yes. We get home, and it's going to be 100 degrees. <laughs> and we're going to head south. <laughs> oh, 
the RV start. Who planned this? <clears throat> yeah, we get home and then just uh, three days into la after Labor Day, we're off again because we will be headed south to Florida. We're going to take most of September, really. The next podcast will be done from the motorhome. And we will have lots of fun experiences as we travel As south. you listen to the hum of the air conditioners <laughs> <laughs> behind us. <laughs> oh. I look at what the temperatures are in Florida. It's, it's outrageous. Okay. Actually, the temperatures at home are pretty bad. So mm, Not so bad. Not so bad. Okay. Oh, we wanted to talk just for a little bit about uh, our, our experience in Quakertuck because we have visited Quakertuck 13 years ago, and we just visited Quakertuck. I kind of like saying that word. Can, I can tell. Every time you hear a K, it's spelled with a Q. Oh, sp spell it. Q-A-Q-O-R-T-U-Q. -Q. So no Q-U's. No. In and, English, everything has a Q-U. And that's pretty much the way every place name in Greenland is spelled. I think that must be part of the Inuit language. Lots of Qs. Okay, so Quakertuk. Yes. Which we visited 13, 13 years, years ago. ago. And we were looking at our pictures. And boy, it is a small port. When we went there, there were no shore excursions really the first time. There really still weren't any shore excursions. <laughs> they tried. Well, they now have a big fur factory where they process furs that, that the people like us don't want and, <laughs> and in many cases aren't allowed to take back in the United States because they're from, like, walruses We walked into the fur company store, and the lady says, well, you can't take home anything that, that we, we sell. sell. <laughs> so... I guess that's a store that has non-sales, but if you're a European, I guess you can. So they, they sold uh, fur from polar bears and seals. Walrus. Walrus. So Quakertuk has changed dramatically since the last time we were well, there. Well, it grew, it grew a lot over the 13 years. Unlike many of the places we visited where the flat spot was about as big as our backyard, Quakertuk had a big flat area and had grown and built a lot more... Um, buildings and homes and something that we've learned with these little towns is that they have a lot more infrastructure than you might suspect because surrounding them are teeny tiny little communities with maybe a hundred people living there and if they want to buy fresh groceries or uh, hardware for their project that they're working on they come to Quakertuck to go shopping <laughs> in their boat and none of the cities if I call them cities in Greenland right now are connected to each other by road. So you either have to fly in, Quakertuck had a helipad, or you come uh, just in Just a helipad, not an airport because there wasn't enough flat area. Or you come in on a boat. Very different lifestyle. We were kind of amazed because we, when we first went to Quakertuck, it was a very... <laughs> I want to say rural, but of course it was rural now. Tiny. But it was very tiny and very picturesque with colorful houses and not too many of them and not an industrial feel to it. Whereas we came back 13 years later and it's suddenly a city when it has taxi cabs and you had buses. A, and you had a watch trucks. before you crossed the street. <laughs> What a shock that was. <laughs> and it had a rush hour when there were 15 cars that drove by. <laughs> and and last time we were there, I remember a lot of people wearing, like, deer skin. Not deer skin. What kind of clothing would they be wearing? Seal skin clothing? Probably. With beadwork. was kind of quaint yeah. and exotic. But, but this time I was passed by a jogger who was wearing headphones. <laughs> I could have been in Central Park in New York City. It was very much more modern. That's the way the world goes. Okay, so RV topic we want to talk about today is planning your your trip 
in your RV. And of course, with ChatGPT around, we find that there is an AI version of trip planning. But you probably want to check it out and make sure that it's giving you accurate information. As is the case with any other AI things that you read these days. They just run around and harvest things from the internet and it's as valuable and true as as it is for any other field. Exactly. So before you go for an AI type of connection, you might want to take a look at uh, the RV Wizard, which is pretty good because it's oriented to uh, RVs specifically or RV travel, and they know how to connect you up with campgrounds and where They're gas stations are and that sort of stuff. <coughs> the RV Wizard is the AI planning app, is that right? The what? The RE RV Wizard? No, that's not AI. Okay. But there's an interesting article here a which I have a link to. From KOA. Well, yes, that, that mentions that AI is not really the answer. And, you know, for years and years and years, we used AAA. And we used to be having a good time going down to the AAA and getting the camping books and getting the the regional tourism books for virtually the whole country. And then, you remember this? We used to get trip ticks. Which planned the whole route for you. And remember what it was? It was like Strips a... Strips of paper. It's like a notebook. That were linked together in a spiral bound yeah. uh, document. And you would just do one, one at a time. You'd flip it over and then you'd be on the next page and it would show you places where to get off, where to have something to eat. Um... Those were the good old days. The good old days. And, but, you, but you had to order it from AAA, and you, you would go in six weeks before your trip, and you'd say, well, I want to go to Yellowstone National Park, and then here and here and here, and make the trip ticks for me. And they would choose pretty much your route, and they would mark it off on the big map with a pen, uh, with a marker, and then you would get this thick book of things to trip do. Trip ticks, which, is, which were little very small but detailed maps of every aspect of the trip. And they also had books um, for each state. Sometimes they'd combine states and it had a section which told you hotels. They even had their own campground book at for a while and things to do. So in some ways it was kind of a one-stop shopping uh, source of information which was very quick and easy because it is a puzzle for people who are going to a brand new area that they know nothing about. Um, what's there to see? How, how much time should I allow to do that? Now, AAA has done more of their services online. You have to these days, so you get some of those things done. Well, not only that, but they actually have trip ticks online. And, of course, it's all planned for you, and they have their uh, regional books uh, online. online. They have the campground guides online. If you're a AAA member and you're not using AAA to help you plan your trips, then you're making a mistake because you're paying for that. And all of that is included with your membership. So we have kind of been guilty of not using TripTix much, but I think that maybe this is something we should take a look at in more detail because we really enjoyed them when we had them. Mm -hmm. And I see here that they actually have TripTix still available, but not in paper form. I don't know if they would route people like us who have vehicle size issues, but for car people. And they definitely do RVs. So another book that you might want to take a look at, you know, we have used COEs for a long time. 
and that's the Corps of Engineers. And with these days, with increasing uh, prices of camping and <laughs> campgrounds charging more than $100 a night for a spot, which is okay, but it galls me when we have to pay that and we get there at 4 and leave at 8. So the COEs we have made reservations for the trip in September, we're going to be staying at a couple of COEs, and they allow you to camp in places that the Corps of Engineers has built a project. They built a campground to go right along with it. Usually it's at dams and forests and places where there are infrastructure that they have built. On some kind of water. Usually on, on some kind of water. And we found those sites, uh, campgrounds to be very nice. The sites are beautiful. They have uh, usually electric 50 amp hookup, and they are just spacious and treed, and they have nice bathrooms and all that sort A of nice stuff. A nice camping experience. And usually it's about 30 bucks. And I think we've talked about this before. But there's a new book that's called Camping in America's Cities and Town Parks. And for instance, we are camping when in South Carolina, we're camping in Ebenezer County Park. And this park is uh, got all the benefits that we're looking for, including full hookups. On and a little lake. Very reasonably priced. In the town where my sister lives, who we are going to visit. Uh, and the blurb says, among the least publicized campgrounds are those in cities and small towns across America. In most cases, camping in city and town parks costs less than nearby private or other better-known public camping areas. In many cases, the overnight camping fee is $10 or less, with many sites still free. Some even include free or inexpensive utility hookups. And so now there is a book which I'll provide the link for on our RV Navigator website that lets you that gives you the lowdown on each of these uh, parks that you can possibly stay in on your trips. We have actually stayed in quite a few now that I think about it. And we've stayed in some that have been free even with hookups. I remember one was in Minnesota that we right. stayed at. By the Jolly Green Giant. <laughs> okay. Wherever it is where they freeze and can all those vegetables. That's where it was. There was a big statue of it. Well, we haven't gotten the book yet, so I haven't had a chance to look it up, but uh, certainly that would be uh, an option for us. The last story for this month, The Naughty Secret Revealed. Did you know this? No. Plastic pink flamingos in RV parks are far from what they appear. Did you know that? No. I had no idea. I thought people just like them for decorations. (laughs) (laughs) Did you know... The secret meaning of two plastic pink flamingos and, and an upside-down pineapple. They all have been appearing in neighborhoods and RV parks lately. We didn't either, although we have noticed a few dotting campgrounds as we traveled and saying, aren't they cute, I asked. We learned the true meaning of pink flamingos from our RV neighbor, and it will surprise you. What do I, you think it is? Are you going to tell, or are you going to send people to the No, website? I'm not going to tell. Okay. It's not what you would guess. <laughs> it's nothing to do with flamingos. Well, well, it's not just the flamingo. I think it's having the pineapple with it. Oh yeah, that definitely. makes. And they have to be. It uh, has to be upside down. Right. Has deep meaning. <laughs> and social implications. And social implications, but we're not going to. Okay, so it's time for a few puns. Are you ready? No, I don't really like puns. Okay. Will glass coffins be a success? Remains to be seen. <laughs> What's the difference between a hippo and a zippo? One is really heavy, and the other is a little lighter. 
two windmills are standing in a wind farm. One asks, what's your favorite kind of music? The other says, I'm a big metal fan. They're kind of funny. Okay. Did you hear about the restaurant called Karma? There's no menu. You just get what you deserve. <laughs> I kind of like that one. <laughs> I went to buy some camouflage t trousers yesterday. But I couldn't find any. <laughs> what do you call a bee that can't make up its mind? A uh, maybe. <laughs> I'm getting the impression you like buns. Well, I just think they're kind of clever. Uh-huh. Is it ignorance or apathy that is destroying the world today? I don't know, and I don't really care. <laughs> oh, I guess we'll end it there. <laughs> oh, we get more puns for next time? Yes, we have more puns. Oh, he's, ladies and gentlemen, he's got a whole other page of these. <laughs> I can hardly wait. <laughs> can hardly wait till next month. Well, I'm sure that'll keep people coming back and wanting more. We'll probably get even some email. <laughs> so... Ladies and gentlemen of the uh, listening audience, we appreciate you listening in and downloading the podcast, and we will be back in the RV next month. We guarantee it. Well, if it as starts. long as it starts, yeah. <laughs> oh, and as long as everything works. You know, RVs are such complex vehicles. There's always something. There's wrong. always something. Will the air conditioner run? Will I we, hope so. Will we get 50 amp power? But we will be... Trying to move down the road in our RV. <laughs> and we will keep you posted uh, every mile of the way. We actually have quite a few miles. We're going to be driving 1,200 miles next month uh -huh. at least, uh -huh. which is uh, kind of a big trip as we take the motorhome down to Florida. So with that said, we will end up this episode with the sound of whales reaching in the distance. We thank you very much for traveling with us, no matter how we do it, and appreciate your continuing uh, relationship, and welcome your questions and comments. Mmm.